Hello there. Welcome back to Claim the Stage, the podcast for women who are interested in becoming better public speakers. I'm Angela Lucier. I am your host. I'm also an author, speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. On today's show, we are getting into that topic. That topic. <laughs> the topic of confidence. This comes up all the time when we talk about public speaking, right? Because so many people feel like they lack confidence in front of groups and it makes them feel bad. Like these people are probably wondering why I'm standing up here because I'm sweating and I'm stuttering and I'm nervous and I don't look like I'm very credible right now. (laughs) So if you've ever suffered from a lack of confidence on stage or wondered how to build confidence as a speaker, you're going to love today's episode. I'm interviewing Alyssa DeVere, who is the Chief Confidence Officer at the American Confidence Institute, and she has an amazing book called Kick-Ass Confidence, and she, she's just someone who I really, I connected with recently and just really adore her. I love her um, ability to get out there and share her message. I love that she took her own personal circumstances and mo- use that as motivation to learn more about the, the neuroscience behind confidence and is now sharing that with audiences all over the world. So she is going to share with us today what confidence is, why does it matter, how do we build it before we get on stage, how do we keep it while we're on stage, and what do we do with that inner critic after a talk. So there's so much here to learn. I love her insights, I love her stories, and her little tidbits that give you insight into how she thinks and how it could change the way you think about your own success as a speaker. So without further ado, my interview with Alyssa DeVere. Welcome back, everyone, to the Claim the Stage podcast. Hope you're having a great week. I have an amazing guest today with us. We are talking about how to own your brain to claim the stage. We're talking about neuroconfidence speaking strategies and secrets. So if you've ever felt nervous and insecure, lacking confidence in your ability to stand in front of a group, you will love today's interview with Alyssa DeVere. I'm going to tell you all about her. Alyssa helps women, entrepreneurs, high potential, and experienced leaders use neuro-based strategies to increase their own and other people's confidence. Hired by MIT, Wharton, Harvard, IBM, Pepsi, Staples, State Street, Wayfair, Liberty Mutual, and dozens of other organizations and events, Alyssa's keynotes, workshops, and peer group programs bring life-changing learning and real-world tools. She's co-founder of the American Confidence Institute and author of seven books, including Kick-Ass Confidence, Own Your Brain, and Up Your Game. Stay connected to Alyssa via her blog, monthly newsletters, video shows, and social media. Her website is kickass-confidence.com. And Alyssa, I know that you are the chief confidence officer in your company, which I think is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) And I, um, when you first reached out to me, I thought, I don't know anything about this person, but, but the fact that that's your title makes me really excited to get to know you and just like, yeah, ask you a thousand questions because that's just very compelling and cool. Awesome. Bring them on. Yay. <laughs> so um, I want to start with a little bit of your background. I just, I love to learn about people and how do you get into a field like confidence? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I guess maybe it's the question of how do you not get into a field like confidence because it's so pervasive, right? It impacts everything we do. Um, but, you know, in terms of my journey, the, the very short version is my background was in marketing. And I fell in love with marketing way back when because it really was about what is motivating people to make a decision to buy or not buy. Right. And so the whole idea of motivational theory was fascinating. In fact, for one part of my college career, I was sure I was going into criminal justice because that is also another application, really, of motivational theory. I just loved that whole psychological. And, and at the time, we didn't even know what neurology, you know, nobody really talked about it um, back in the cave days when I went to college. But following the path of marketing, you know, I did all that work as a CMO and, you know, I worked a lot with technology and subsequently, continued this fascination and was more of a hobby. And there were two things that were monumental that kind of converged in my life. One was as I studied particularly women's confidence, that was my initial kind of fascination. I did some research, I did studies, and then I published this very saucy book called Misinformed, Wake Up Wisdom for Women. And my now business partner at the American Confidence Institute happened to get her hands on it. She's up in Toronto. She was running leadership, um, the leadership division for HR.com. And she kept pressing me to do more research and broaden the scope. So it wasn't just women, but it was very much about anybody, men and women of all ages, like how, how does confidence work? How do we get more of it? And that was about six years ago, I want to say, Angela. Um, well, well, we'll probably end our interview later on is talking about more detail what happened with my own personal life and my son, Zach. And it brought me into this world of neurology in a way that, honestly, it was my mother's motivation to find cures and to really not give up that really pushed me to learn about how the brain works um, and that motivational hunger from my marketing days coupled with my motivation as a mother to find a cure for my son kind of dovetailed into what today is now one of the hottest subjects, of course, which is, you know, neuroscience and brain science and how we apply that to everyday living and things like presenting. Yeah, I think that that happens so often that we have a personal challenge that we want to solve. We develop a passion for learning about it and then we want to teach others. I think it's really great that you're bringing that to the world through your own, um, at your own focus and, and interests. I want to say hi to everybody on Facebook Live who's watching. If you have any questions for Alyssa, you can post them in the comment box and I will be sure to ask them before our interview is over. And so Alyssa, this, this, this topic of confidence, it comes up all the time. And we know that confidence can be part of what makes you believable as a speaker. And confidence is something that can, when you get up on stage, make you feel like you have this or the opposite if you, if you don't have that confidence. So before we go too far into the interview, I want you to just tell me, like, what is confidence? <laughs> yeah, right? What is, what the heck is it? You know, we do call it it, you know, the it factor. You know, I, I am a big mouthpiece to say that I do not believe that you can fake it till you make it. Maybe a little bit of a heretic because so many people are saying, get out and fake it till you make it. And I think in so many realistic examples, that we know in our own lives, you know, when people try to fake it till they make it, it doesn't, it just doesn't fly. And I think the place that it flies least is on the stage, right? So it's one of those situations where I say, you know, you can see and smell when a speaker is not quite comfortable. And all the rehearsal in the world actually, I think, makes it worse. 
you know, it becomes almost like uh, the Stepford speaker. If anyone remembers the Stepford was, you know, you kind of go through the motions and it's not believable. So your question about what is confidence? Well, there's lots of ways to kind of look at that. And, you know, from a definitional perspective, at the Institute, after we did all this research and asked about 15,000 people what their definition is, we settled on the fact that confidence really is a manifestation. It's how you act when you're living within your values. It's that simple. So if you are being the person you really want to be and you're mindful and aware of that and you're doing things that are in accordance to that, you feel confident. Now, here's the, the kicker, Angela is that things happen, you know? I mean, how many times have you presented, I've presented, and no matter what something, how much you prepare, plan B, plan C, inevitably something goes wrong, it gets hairy, right? So you get this little kind of knock to your confidence, or you're not feeling so well. We were joking earlier this morning, we were both exhausted today because we had a tough night last night. You know, there's things that like that you just can't control. So truly confident people don't just act in accordance because the reality is there's some days that you just can't, it's out of your control, whatever, you screw up. So it really is a matter of can you get back to a confident state? And so confidence, again, in our definitional world is acting in accordance to your beliefs and values and being able to get back there quickly. It's that resilience factor that allows you to get back fast. Yeah, how do you do that? Is that, a, is that a skill you can learn? It is absolutely a skill you can learn. And, um, you know, it's certainly a, a longer topic than I think our podcast will allow, but through different behavioral change things. So let's, let me give you a little bit of brain science. You ready for it? Go <laughs> caffeine, go for it. So in our brains, we have three main, main parts and I'll kind of point them in my own head, but needless to say, you know, happy to, uh, to share a graphic with anyone who wants something after the fact, but you know, in the back of our head is our brainstem. It's down here, and it's our oldest part of the human brain from an evolutionary perspective. It's also the first part of our brain that develops when we're in utero, and that part of the brain has a fundamental um, function, which it controls all the autonomic things that we do: our, our breathing, our heartbeat, um, our pulse, um, uh, our sweating. Things that we don't think about, they just happen, right? Now, in the caveman days, they didn't have to think about a lot, certainly not the internet, but needless to say, they had to think about fight or flight, right? If there's a wild boar in the distance, you make a decision, you're either going to run to get it for dinner, or you're going to run away so you don't become dinner, fight or flight. And now all that processing was almost reactionary in the brainstem. They didn't really have to think about it. It just was a reaction. In the middle of our brain, we've got the emotional center. It's called the limbic system. And all of our wants and our worries kind of manifest there. And there's a small piece of in a small part in that area called the amygdala. And it's, I say small, it's about the size of a walnut, but it is uber powerful. And I like to um, compare it to a flight control, you know, like a, an air traffic control system where it's always looking, it's out there looking for anything that can cause you danger or harm. And we think, okay, physical danger, sure, but also emotional danger. All right. So keep that again in your brain for the moment, because the top of your brain, the front part here is really where, you know, all the good stuff happens. And when I mean the good stuff, all your analytical thinking, your rationalization, where you can be calm and confident when you kind of get on stage and you're like, all of that's here. And 
It's the last part of the human brain to evolve. It actually makes us different than most than every other living creature because we have the biggest and the most um, sophisticated frontal cortex. But it also is the last to develop in a human being. So what I mean by that is it's shown that not until we're 26 does it fully develop. So oftentimes young people, particularly my teenage boys as an example, we make emotional decisions because we don't have the capacity to do it yet. But as we get older and as we start to develop that more and more and more, we should be able to have all that good control here. So with all that said, here's what happens. We get nervous. We think we're going to go on stage and people aren't going to like us or we're going to screw up or we're going to do something that's going to embarrass us. And all that is triggering that amygdala, that little walnut thing to go, what? right? Now, the mental strength, the exercises and the things that we can do build the ability for us to recognize that first and second, pull it to here where we go, okay, calm down. I got this. I've done it a hundred times. Remember last week I did it. Look at my LinkedIn thing. Everybody loved, you know, recommendation. You do all that kind of smart, intelligent management when you build that mental capacity. The problem is when you don't have it, it sinks back to your caveman, your reptilian brain, as they call it, the brainstem, and you lose control and you start to sweat and get nervous and all that. And so it's as simple as literally recognizing the sign, knowing that you have an exercise. So like ball players, you know how they get up and they start swinging the bat and they do all that kind of dancing around. It's their way of actually triggering their free prefrontal cortex to go, okay, wait a minute. I got this. I can do this. I've hit it out of the park before. We're, we've got this. Or we're confident. So at a summary level, I hope I answered that question. <laughs> so what could speakers be doing before a speaking engagement to get them into that frame of mind that lets them know they got it? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things that I'll throw out speaker specific. And, and a lot of these I use myself. So they may or may not work for other people. And you have to kind of find what works for you. But if you take five minutes beforehand, and I say five minutes, it could be three, it could be 10, and just go and breathe, pay attention to your presence, notice what's around you, get very mindful. And I don't mean crunchy mindful, you don't have to be in a yoga position or anything. But you know, get in that space where you're like, okay, I can do this, I've done it before, that in and of itself is magic. There's another thing that we um, do in our workshops. We have people create what we call a confidence collection. And I mentioned before, you know, maybe it's your LinkedIn, you know, the recommendations, or maybe it's a series of pictures that you've seen yourself on stage or um, getting hugs from the audience or whatever it is, something that reminds you in the past that you've done this, you can do this. And that visual, that literal visual, you know, bring it up on your phone, look at it is partly, again, bringing it to your prefrontal cortex. It's raising your neurotransmitters, specifically things like dopamine, which is your accomplishment neurotransmitter, which reminds your body, you got this, right? So that really helps. So confidence collection, putting it in one place in a folder or something on your cell phone where you can look quickly and see maybe three, four, five, ten, any number really, even just one big one, it's great. Yeah, I can do this. I got it, right? So those are like two power tips. There's um, 4,000 other things you can do, but those are what, those are some of the big ones I do. Now, with that said, and I'm sure you used to talk about this in the sisterhood all the time, 
preparation and practice is what builds those neural pathways better than anything. And if you don't practice and you're not prepared, all the other stuff is not going to work. Yeah. Can you talk about practice and the value of practice for a minute? Well, let me ask you, because, you know, here's the thing. You, you, you talk to all these speakers. Like, what, what would you consider to be good speaker practice? What do you, what do you suggest to people? Because I have my own set and we'll compare notes. Well, first, it's doing it. Like, you have to get in front of an audience and do it. And people say, well, I practice at home in, in front of a mirror. And I'm like, that's, that's nice. That, but that's totally different. Because, like, you're talking about it, it alerts a different part of the brain when you're standing in front of a group of people. And so you have to practice that skill and get comfortable with people looking at you while you're doing it. <laughs> um, and then the reflection, the reflection piece is really important, too, of thinking back what went well, what surprised me, what did I do better than I thought I could do, what do I want to do differently? next time. There's a lot of learning that takes place during the practice and then after the practice and then the planning for the next speech and thinking about like what really works for me? What do? How do I want to write a speech? And how do I like to memorize information? And what's my style? So I think there's, there's a lot of learning that takes place in all three pieces of the practice process. Absolutely. Well put. Well put. Um, I would add to that um, list, videotape yourself beforehand. Yeah. Now, if you think it's hard watching, having other people look at you, seeing yourself, I mean, I still do kind of like this, right? Like I'm like, and I've been videotaped a thousand times. I just, it's hard, but you, you'll see things and people are gentle, relatively speaking, not everybody by any means. There's always going to be smart ass in the audience and it's going to write on your feedback form, you know, get a booger on your nose or something. But <laughs> You know, the reality is this is where our harshest critic. And so part of that is good and part of that is bad. You know, watching yourself, don't obsess that you, you know, you're too fat, you're too skinny, your hair was up. Don't worry about that because most of the time people don't notice. The reality is focus on, like you said, your style, your stance, your speed, how many ums and ahs, you know, all those things that can be very distracting, not so much just to an audience in general, but distracting them in a way that makes their brain go, she doesn't really know what she's going to say. She's not really comfortable. She's lacking confidence. And that's the killer. So getting comfortable with that. Um, I, th I would also say, so videotape yourself, watch it, try it, practice it. That's very, very powerful. It's a little humbling and hum humility is a good thing, right? Um, feedback. I want to talk about feedback too, because you said, you know, kind of self-reflect. Now here's the thing. You walk off stage and anyone you pass by is going to say, Angela, that was great. Right? What are they going to say? Angela, you sucked. No, they're not going to do that. So you have to kind of filter that out. Right? People who come up to you deliberately afterwards, you know, and talk to you, wow, I really liked when you said blah, blah, blah. Or can you explain that some more? Those are the people that you can ask for real feedback. Like, what did you like best? What, how would it, could I have improved that? Uh, you know, that is really, really valuable. And I think, we get defensive naturally. I don't care who you are. We, we're kind of scared of feedback. Here's the thing. You don't have to agree with all the feedback, but you have to listen to it. And then you can make a decision if you want to, you know, adopt it or not. But that feedback is what changes you to be so much better if you're open to it. And it's hard. And I'll be the first to admit, you know, I get defensive sometimes because my reaction is, what do you know? You weren't on the stage, right? You know, like you try it, like knock yourself out. This is much harder than it looks. I make it look easy. You know, like you want to say that, but you have to kind of tell me what you think. Think, And then again, you don't have to agree, but you thank the person. Thank you for that feedback and you move on. And I think those really help. 
Absolutely. So we've talked about how to build confidence right before getting on stage, but what about while you're giving your speech, especially if you make a mistake, how do you recover from that? (laughs) You know, here's the thing. I I don't think there is such a thing as a mistake on stage. I, you know, I think you're, if you go on stage and you really think about, I'm here to do a job and I'm human and I'm going to let them see who I am and I'm going to approach it from a, a place of helpfulness. There's no such thing. I mean, what, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, yeah, granted, you could do something that's embarrassing, like, you know, have a wardrobe malfunction or whatever it might be. But in most cases, the kind of mistake, you know, you trip on your words or a slide doesn't work or whatever, you know, just, oh, well, you know, it is what it is. And I think it's the, the, most confident people that kind of like roll with it, right? That they don't let it get flustered. And there's something that changed my uh, perspective of, as a presenter so dramatically, I'd like to share it with our viewers, which is, you know, you are on stage not to be judged. That's not what the audience came to do. You're not on the stage to show off or prove how smart you are. That's not what they came to see either. You're on the stage to either teach or transform the people that are there. And that's your job. That's what your responsibility is. And you need to know your stuff well enough that you can make sure that you're connecting and really helping the folks in the audience understand and appreciate the information that you're sharing. And if you kind of take that little bit of a, maybe it's a big shift in mindset, there's no such thing as a screw up. I love that. So what about after the speech, if you get off the stage and you know that you haven't, you haven't done a great job, you forgot half your, your main points, you didn't land the story, whatever, and you're beating yourself up, your inner critic is just, you know, taking the center stage. How do you keep your confidence up at that time? Wine. <laughs> Lots of it. Um, you know, here's the reality. I think we all have to allow ourselves a little bit of space to mourn, right? To kind of be like, that was not good. That sucked. And, you know, having a good support system, uh, friends or spouses or whoever it is, very important. There are two realities in speaking and we forget these. The first reality is, like I said earlier, there's going to be somebody in the audience, maybe two, maybe three people, depending on the size of your audience, that no matter what you do, you could be naked juggling fireballs. They are going to not like what you have to say because they came into the room with whatever their baggage and their motivations are, and you have to let it be. And it's ridiculously hard to do that. I can have a pile of feedback forms, and it's that one or two that I go, right? Yeah. But that's real reality. And I will tell you, there are over 5,000 feedback forms in my folder over there and my file over there. So anyone who's watching this, trust me, even the best speakers, and, and I'm not the best, but I certainly have 4,990 probably ones that say, you rocked my world in a good way. And those 10 or 20, whatever the number is, that were the grumpy people who just felt the need to have to you know, and it's, of course, because I speak about confidence, I'm a, you know, I might as well wear a target, you know, they just feel the need that they have to kind of ping me. We all get it. So that's rule number one. And rule number two is not every presentation is going to be your best. But every presentation is an opportunity, including your best one, to learn and, as you said before, reflect and get a little better the next time. 
And so if you at least allow yourself to say, that wasn't my best, maybe it's the one out of 10 that's not going to be great, but that one out of 10 can be the most pivotal learning experience. How do I avoid that? What did I do and how do I avoid that next time? I don't know if it soothes the wound. And again, I, you know, wine is a great self, but needless to say, um, we all have our days and that's just reality. That's, that's the cost of being on the stage. That's the price. And that's also what it's like to be a person. <laughs> We're just people. <laughs> We're not robots. We don't always have the same outcomes. Right. So part of your work is you've created instant anytime confidence kickers. And I'm wondering if you can share some of those. We have a couple of minutes left. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. And no, I'm happy to. And of course, if anyone has any particular questions, pipe them into us here. Um, so one of the kickers I mentioned before is, is when you are tired, you have to acknowledge the fact that your neurotransmission is going to be a little bit uh, disadvantaged. And what I mean by that is you, your brain's not going to fire as fast. So your reaction times are going to be slower. It turns out that people who are tired actually cause more car accidents than people who are drunk. So needless to say, take that to heart. When you're tired, the best thing you can do, maybe only thing you can do is recognize that you're tired, slow down, think a little more, talk a little less, and slow down. That's when the ums and the ahs and the tripping over your words, that's when all that happens because we're tired and we our brain's not keeping up with us. So slow down. So that's kicker number one. Recognize you're tired. And that applies whether you're going into a meeting, you're walking on the stage, you're getting behind your wheel, you're having conversation with your mother-in-law, whatever it might be. Slow down if you're tired. I think another really good kicker is that we all have superpower. And here's the superpower, Angela. You and I chatted on the phone a couple of weeks ago. We had such a great energized conversation. Here we are talking again, and I can't wait to work with you more because you're fun and you've got a great mojo and a great organization, a great thing going. And I'm grateful for that. And thank you for having me today. Now you feel good? Yeah. Yeah, I feel good too. Because you know what? I have the power to make you and other people feel good. And we forget we have that superpower. So use it. It's confidence building for you and the other person. So would the tip be maybe think of three people who you've connected with or feel grateful for and share that with them? Absolutely. But you know what? Great practice is every day, like a vitamin, make one person's day every day. Love it. All right. So let's jump into our lightning round. I have questions for you. The first is what does success mean to you? Success means that I have built trust and respect with other people and I'm somebody I want that they want to be around. And that makes me feel successful. I love that. Number two, why is it important for more women to speak up? We offer obviously a different viewpoint and voice, but I think the compassion that we bring as part of our wiring is so needed in this world, maybe more so than ever, but in, in reality, it just, it, it makes the rest of us women if not the emotionally intelligent men, really, really uh, moves us. Number three, if you were given an extra $100 per week, what would you do with it? Buy more wine? <laughs> I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> you know, I, um, I, I, I love the idea of paying it forward, you know, like paying for somebody's toll, paying for somebody's coffee. I just think that that's just a cool concept and I don't get, I don't think of it enough. So I think that $100, if I, 
earmarked for that would be so much fun to do. Number four, what is your favorite word and what does it taste like? Oh my God. Well, of course it's confidence. I mean, that's a no brainer. That's easy. (laughs) I wasn't sure if it was wine. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, It tastes like wine. Now, um, I would say, I mean, there's a lot of, I'm a foodie and I love food. So this is like the hardest question of all, what does it taste like? You know, um, I, I'm going to go with carrots and I say carrots on, because I'm in Massachusetts and my boys speak like that. I'm a New Yorker, so we say carrots at home, but carrots because, um, you know, they have that crunch and they get the attention. They're still healthy. They're very versatile. And quite honestly, it's hard to find a bad carrot. So <laughs> I love that. Um, number five, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? What does it mean to me to claim the stage? Clearly, when you have a connection with that audience, when they're kind of looking at you and they're bobbing their heads and they're laughing or maybe even crying, depending on your stories, you know, it's that connection, that electricity between, you know, I'm pushing out energy, they're pushing it back to me, that to me, that's owning the stage. And you have a special gift for everyone listening. Let's do. Everyone. Now, whether you are part of the sisterhood or not, but you're here with us today, I am going to give everyone who sends me an email, because I need to send it back to you, with a copy of the book in PDF form, format, free of charge, my gift. Happy Valentine's Day, I guess. <laughs> Tell us about your book. My book, Kick-Ass Confidence, Own Your Brain, Up Your Game. It's nice and short. And of course, I should have a copy. Hold on. Dun, dun, dun. See, copy, and it's really short. It's sweet. It's a two-hour read, two-and-a-half-hour if you're slow. Really want to chew on it, but um, has uh, a lot of stuff we talked about today, some more kickers. It's got some exercises and tools. Um, some of the research we did with professional athletes and, and high-performance military C-suite folks is kind of uh, wrapped up in here. And it's on Amazon. If you want to buy a hard copy like this one, it's on Amazon. Um, there's also ebook formats. And we have the audio book coming out soon. So stay tuned. If you send me an email, I'll put you on our mailing list and give you the heads up when that's available. Great. Did you read the audio book yourself? No. You know what? I didn't. I made a decision not to because... A fellow sister is starting her new business as a narrator. She um, has had a long career in other things. She's got a beautiful voice. And um, I just think that, you know, her her reading is going to be that much better than mine would be. So interesting decision, I know. But needless to say, I'm excited for you to hear um, Andrea's beautiful voice reading this very good book. (laughs) That's so great of you to support her, too. Now, you have a ton of speaking engagements coming up, and I'd love for you to share a couple of those with the audience. And also, if you wouldn't mind sharing how you have the confidence to go out and pitch yourself. Do you tell yourself something before you pick up the phone to pitch yourself for gigs, or are you just like, they need this, we need to connect, let's make this happen? Oh, gosh. All right, which one do you want me to do first, the the gigs or the answer? Let's do the answer and then the gigs. Okay, cool. So the answer is this. Pitching sucks. It's like any kind of selling. It's hard. You have to remember that it's a numbers game in a lot of cases that there's some percentage. And, you know, my goal is to increase percentage over time. So if there's 10 calls that I make in the first year and only one of them books me, by year two, I want to have two calls and so forth. And that kind of keeps me motivated. I'm a little bit of a competitive, you know, kind of self-performing critic. But I think what, um, you know, it's interesting because when I do get a no, it makes me angry because I feel like we've deprived that audience. And 
to some extent, that's also motivates me because I know that the content that I bring is um, life changing and it makes people so much more happy and successful. So it really um, it kind of almost feels like a responsibility that I've got to get out there and get more gigs all the time so I can bring this to more people. Needless to say, um, I, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. It's a personal affront. I think there's um, a couple things in life, interviews in general, when you're interviewing for a job, for example, or you're finding a mate, you're dating, that really test your personal resilience, your confidence. And speaking is one of them. They are making a decision that they like you or not, and it's hard. So I don't think that it's, we can't rub, you know, rub it away and say, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's not okay. Again, everything we said earlier, learn from it, kind of make it like, okay, the next time I'm going to do something different, try and get feedback. I always ask for feedback. When somebody says, no, thank you. I say, why? And you know what, Angela, what's always interesting is I would say almost without any, anytime I get it, which is not often, people are not very kind in that they should give feedback to a speaker who's putting themselves out there. It's the least they can do. But there's always some stupid excuse. Like, oh, my sister-in-law volunteered. She's going to do it for free, right? Like, that's a stupid thing, but okay, knock yourself out. Or they'll say something like, um, you know, we decided to change the date. You know, there's always some kind of thing that's esoteric that has nothing to do necessarily with me. That's not a good example. I'm trying to think of some of the real examples. There's always an excuse that I go, well, that's ridiculous. So I always feel better. Now, are they telling me the truth that they pick somebody else because they like them better? Maybe not. Maybe they don't have the balls or confidence to say it. But in reality, um, you're not going to win everything. That's just, that's the way it is. Yeah. Well, I love that, that concept of it's not rejection if they say no, it's disappointment that you're depriving the audience of your important message. I really love that. It's yeah. Reframing it. So and find another one. Know. Find another one. Just move on. Keep finding more. All right. So upcoming gigs. Sorry, you didn't mean to get you off there. Okay. Um, upcoming gigs. Yeah. So a lot of uh, folks, I know you're in Massachusetts. I'm in Massachusetts. I have a couple of um, gigs coming up that if anyone wants to come and hang with me, bring wine. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, I'll be at the Bryant Women's Summit, which sells out every year. It's sold out in nine minutes this year, but it's coming up in March down in Rhode Island. Um, I'm doing a little class at Tufts coming in March, the quarter nine, which is the Metro West chamber of commerce. I'll be doing, um, in April, I am their speaker there. So that's open to everybody. It's, um, <clears throat> excuse me for the, um, women's group that they have there, which is really a, a fun, um, a fun squad. And then Boston glow, which is a wonderful organization. I just learned about them. They're women empowerment for girls and um, career women. I'll be keynoting that as well as the Boston Toastmasters coming up. So any of those places, they're all listed on our calendar, but there are opportunities. If you want to hear the keynote, I'd love to meet any and all sisters. Um, and I'm going to be at other places too, not in the Boston area, out in Vegas at exhibitor, um, live coming up and I'm going to be at Spotify in March doing their uh, International Women's Day, which is coming up in March as well. Wow. That's awesome. Thank so you. Those are on your calendar. Where can we find your calendar? On the kickass-confidence.com, as you mentioned in the beginning. So don't forget that hyphen in the middle. Um, on that website, there's a, a calendar link and it's all right there. And of course, if you sign up on our email or social media, we pump stuff like that out just to let people know in case they want to join. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today, Alyssa. I love talking about this. And I think we could have probably done like a 12 
hour episode here because there's so much to this topic. And so if anyone watching or listening wants to learn more, definitely check out Alyssa's speaking engagements and co- go see her live. So much to add and uh, definitely things that could help us in all areas of life. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. My interview with Alyssa DeVere. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're interested in getting that ebook, uh, Kick-Ass Confidence, Own Your Brain, Up Your Game, definitely email her at alyssa at kickass-confidence.com. You'll get your own copy. And you can, while you're on her website, check out her calendar. And if you can see her live anywhere, definitely go. I mean, she's, she's a powerhouse. She's got a lot to say. And I think she could help change your mind and give you some new insights into being a better speaker. And as I mentioned in the interview about practice, practice is so huge if you want to build this skill. Pretty much important for building any skill. So if this is important to you, check out the Speaker Sisterhood. We are a network of public speaking clubs for women, and we have community clubs locally all over New England, and we also have clubs online. So if you wanted to join from the comfort of your own home on your couch that's your choice (laughs) and it could be very fun as I'm learning a lot of the members in the virtual clubs love the ability to stay at home and deliver a speech but also be part of a community at the same time so you can learn more about that at speakersisterhood.com all right that does it for me today you guys I hope you enjoyed today's episode and got some new tidbits for your speaking journey and as always stop waiting start creating I'll see you next time